Well, good morning and welcome to Lord of Grace. Everyone is watching out on the internet. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I end up with a lot of old people, old acquaintances, old high school friends, people who used to know me, uh, trying to look me up on Facebook or other social media, trying to figure out what I'm up to. And I know why they, uh, I know why the people I used to hang out with are wanting to catch up because we actually knew each other somewhat. But I could find people trying to find me who I never hung out with, I never knew them from Adam, uh, or at least I never talked to them very much. Um, you know, what are they interested in? Is it just pure curiosity, uh, I suppose? Uh, maybe they paid more attention to me than I did to them, I suppose that's possible. But what I find in more than one case is that they're curious uh, to know what it's like to know, have a classmate who's now a pastor. Uh, what does a pastor live like? Uh, is he still a normal person? Uh, where does he stand on political issues? Uh, I know a lot of them think that all pastors are sort of fundamentalists and uh, these political types who hate gays and trans kids and stuff. Um, some will even come to me with questions, you know? Like, why do you do it? I mean, why, why are, are you a pastor? Uh, I don't remember you that way, you know? And my reason is simple, if you break it all down. I tell them, Jesus. Jesus is the reason I do this. I do this because I feel called by Jesus. I read about Jesus. I've experienced Jesus. I've been drawn in by his teachings and the wisdom, and I'm convinced that the kind of things he says are not things that an ordinary person would come up with. And a lot of people out there claim God's talking to them and that they have a special revelation and here's what you should do. And I never believe them because when I look at their actions and their words, what I see is all stuff that benefits the one getting the revelation. So they always end up, the person with the revelation always ends up with lots of power, uh, lots of power over people, sometimes governments. They end up quite wealthy. Uh, they usually amass these big harems of underage girls, often in forced marriages. Uh, they get lots of cash and live in these big houses. And I kind of sit back and say, wow, that revelation worked out pretty well for you, didn't it? It's been quite beneficial to you that you received this revelation. Uh, and I think maybe I should just say I had a revelation and I can get money, sex, and power too. Uh, which is why I think they're all phonies. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, I see something very different. I see a person who gives everything for what he believes in and gets nothing out of it. He doesn't get money or a harem or political office. You know, there's no army or throne. He doesn't uh, get a pile of cash or minions to do his bidding. I mean, he has his disciples, but he can't even get them to stay awake. So they're, they're not very good minions. Jesus dies penniless and alone and disgraced. That's the mark of someone who's doing it for the cause. But it's also the mark of someone who's living a life of what I would call absolute love. 
a love more powerful and real than what us humans can do. And that's what I say. That's what I tell people. Jesus is the real deal. Because I don't think that kind of thinking is human thinking. Uh, if, if, if Jesus was just a con artist, he would have ended up rich and powerful. He would have gotten the good life for himself. And he would have promised in his disciples and all his followers that they too will get the good life for following him. And it would have been his pitch. Follow me and you'll get all sorts of wealth. Now, I, I know there are preachers out there today who say exactly that. Uh, have faith in Jesus and you'll get stuff. But that's not what Jesus promised. Jesus promised his disciples fields of persecution. That's his phrase. Instead of fields of land to get rich in this world, you'll get fields of persecution. Try making it big on TV with that slogan. You know, but this is the essence of Jesus. Giving of yourself out of love with nothing for yourself. Pure Pure selflessness. And that's not how we're wired as humans. We're wired to survive. And that means looking out for ourselves and our families and our tribes and our nations and our countries. It, it doesn't mean dying penniless and childless. But this is Jesus. It's what we all know is so compelling about him that we're drawn to him. There's no hypocrisy in him. There's no give and love except. There's no give and love only after you've established a comfortable and secure existence for yourself and your family. It's why we all kind of know that he's really different from the rest and why a lot of people who aren't sure about religion still tend to like Jesus. Uh, so that's what I say. I tell them, I do this for Jesus. The church is good. I love it. It's not perfect, but no organization of people is. But the church is not Jesus. It's the way we know about Jesus, the way we live out our lives in faith in Jesus. But it isn't the church we believe in, it's Jesus we believe in. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the church in Philippi. So go to Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That last section, everything after the who, it's a hymn. Paul's quoting a hymn, so that would have been set to music. It would have been a song somehow that the early Christians sang. And it talks of how Jesus had all the stuff that we humans value, money, power, authority, and he gave it all up. He emptied himself. 
It's like all those things weren't just things he had, they were a part of who he was. And he didn't just have power, he was power. And he poured all that out. He just dumped it out, like Mary throwing all that expensive perfume on Jesus. Just poured it all out. And why? Did he do it so he could get kudos? Uh, So people would say, wow, you're a great guy. We'll give you a plaque for your dedication. No. Jesus just did it out of love for his people. He did it for the people who didn't care, for the people who were mean to him, for the people who didn't believe in him, for the people who killed him. He gave up everything. And that's the example that Paul is telling his church to follow. Don't pursue your own interests, but put others before yourselves. And this is maybe the hardest command. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to say, don't eat these foods, pray so many times a day, wear these clothes, don't use certain words, than to say, give up everything and sacrifice everything for people who hate you. Oh, and get nothing in return. Giving in love is so much harder than just following a set of rules. Love is so much harder. Rules are easy. You do it and you're good. There's a limit to them. There there may be a lot of rules, but there's still a limit. There's a point at which you could potentially have met all the rules. But love, love is the hardest thing because it demands everything. And you're never done giving. Jesus draws you in to follow him precisely because he doesn't do it the way he should. It's all backwards. It's it's a giant paradox where the way of God is what looks like it's the wrong way. You gain your life by losing it. You find love by giving it. You find fulfillment by emptying yourself. You get joy by embracing the hurting. It's all backwards, and yet it's so all obviously godly. And it's not easy, but it is good. And this is where it becomes a spiritual exercise for us. A place for us to do some reflection on ourselves. You see, the biggest complaint I hear about Christians is that Christians are all hypocrites. They teach one thing, but they do another. You talk love, but when it's in your interest, you do what serves you. You say you love all people, but you're on sweatshops to make your clothes because you like the profits or you don't like paying that much money for your shoes. You say you love and adore God's creation, but you dump plastic in it because you don't want to pay for a reusable bag. And on and on and on. Everyone's caring and loving when it doesn't cost. And, you know, I would love to say the same thing about the critics, right? I mean, they love their sweatshop sneakers as much as anybody else, which is why it's so hard to follow Jesus. It means you have to act against your own self-interest. That's what Paul is saying. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see... I don't think there are many people in the world who are just plain evil. There's some of them, right? The Golden State Killer, he's evil. 
He, there's just no explanation for it. But I don't think there's a lot of, you know, sort of Lex Luthors sitting out there going, Wahaha, I'm going to rule the world because I'm evil. Instead, you have a lot of people looking to their own self-interests. And a lot of self-interests are bad for other people's self-interests. What's best for me, not be what's best in the big picture. What gets me the thing I like might cause harm to others. And if I only give out of what's left after I feel comfortable and secure in my lifestyle, then it's not doing what Paul's saying, it's doing what's best for me. Which is hard. And, you know, I don't claim to practice it perfectly. Or even well. You know, I like getting t-shirts that don't cost 50 bucks. I like having to not pay $5,000 for my iPhone. So I, I'm not throwing stones here. I'm a hypocrite too. I don't perfectly practice what I preach either. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stop preaching Jesus, who does all the things I'm unwilling or unable to do. I'm going to keep myself aware of how my own self-interests affect others. I'm going to make a discipline out of doing an inventory occasionally of my actions and reflecting on it, even if I'm really acting out of the interests of others here. And it can be convicting to see, to just put it down and go, yeah, that's a case where I know that uh, people are kind of hurting because of what I do, and that's why I do it. It can be very convicting to do that, to do sort of an analysis of your self-interest. But on the other hand, it can also be very freeing because it can be a way of having awareness of knowing what we do, of knowing our place. And you can't correct or fix something you don't name. You can't confess a sin that you don't acknowledge. So there's a part of it that is convicting, but there's a part of it that's also very freeing. And we do this knowing that we have a God who both demands infinite love, who practices infinite love, and who is capable of infinite forgiveness. Amen.